0: You're listening to Thrive, where every week we have meaningful conversations with incredible women like you, packed with practical tips and sisterly advice to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday gal who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. I'm your host, Erica Gwyn, and I'm ready to thrive together. Here's today's episode. Welcome back to Thrive. Before we begin, I just need you to know that Jessica and I had each other crying, laughing after our recorded conversation together, and she's now one of my favorite people. Dr. Jessica Metcalf was a dentist to oncology patients before burning out not one, not two, but three times. She's now a self-intelligence coach and an award-winning international speaker and the author of Speak Kindly, You're Listening, Helping Women Beat Burnout, Perfectionism, and Imposter Syndrome, all by identifying and recalibrating their inner voice. We talk all about that in today's episode, as well as break down the difference between toxic positivity and informed optimism. We also talk about work-life blend versus work-life balance. And Dr. Jessica has some fantastic recommendations to help you find your own best self-care practices based on genuine self-compassion and a deeper understanding and knowing of you. Spoiler alert, we both hate bubble baths. There's seriously so much goodness jam packed in today's episode. So I hope you're ready. Stay tuned through this episode drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to. And now welcome Dr. Jessica. Hi, I am so
1: excited to be here today.
0: Yay. Hey, doc. Welcome to thrive. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, You are Oh my gosh, you're like all the things you're a self intelligence coach, which is what a cool title. Like that's awesome. You are an award-winning, uh, international speaker and author and former dentist to oncology patients. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh,
0: and I know you went from experiencing what, not one, not two, but three burnouts as a dental oncologist (laughs) and then moved cross country, started a business and now help other high achieving women break through all the, all the things like, uh, you know, all those, fun things we love to talk about, like imposter syndrome and perfectionism and burnout and all that jazz. So we love to see it. I don't want to steal any more of your
1: thunder. (laughs)
0: Tell us all about you and your life now.
1: Oh my goodness. So now it's, it's so fascinating because on another podcast that I was on, they asked me, well, what, what is your title now? And I was so reluctant to give a title because I think we, trap ourselves into titles thinking that, okay, well, this is what I am, so this is what I have to do. But for me, a part of my burnout was not giving myself the opportunity to do the things and be the things that I wanted to do and be. And so I really had to ask myself and put myself as a first person to say, okay, what is it that I want at the end of the day instead of necessarily continually taking care of others and putting me last. So now I practice part-time dentistry. I still own a dental clinic across the country. Um, I'm a consultant and I work with high achieving women but shifted actually recently into working with businesses and their leadership teams and how to navigate and whether quiet quitting and the great resignation and all of that stuff that's been happening. And outside of that, which I never used to talk about, I picked up the violin, I take Italian lessons, I have a puppy, I'm Auntie Jessie to my niece. So like there's all these other things that I get to be within any given day and I'm so grateful for that versus before it was like, no, no, you have to do dentistry. This is what you do. This is what like you're trained to do. You can only do this. and that just didn't work for me. And it was also because I was spreading myself way too thin. So when we talk about that third burnout, it was finally recognizing that I needed the help and that I needed to make a change.
0: I love this because right off the bat, I can tell you're a fellow multi-passionate, which (laughs) yes, because I think you're absolutely right. We pin ourselves, I think it's like we pin ourselves, so much of our identity onto Mm -hmm. a title. And when we're leaning so far into that, it's almost like we take away our own space or we take away our own permission to explore other things and be other things. And I almost end up wondering if it's because sometimes in our society, it feels like from such an early age, it's kind of put on you like, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? And mm-hmm. the implication is like, you are something like it is. It's not, here's your lo- your list of the 10 different roles you want to have. It's kind of like, well, here's the different kinds of jobs. And you pick one and that's what you do. And even though that's not necessarily what people mean in like kindergarten when they're teaching us this, it's just kind of what we pick up on where we kind of get the feeling that like, oh, we pick a role and then we just keep niching as we go through. And then you pick one major or like maybe two in college. You're not like, oh, let's explore all of these other things and become well-rounded, multi-passionate people. You're kind of like, What are you and how do you be the best at that one thing? And normally how to be the best at that one thing has this sort of, you kind of got to focus on that one thing and not be stretching yourself thin with other things. So I love that you're doing the violin. That's like one of my favorite instruments in the world. And that is, I wish I had learned that. So yeah, that's awesome.
1: I wish I had learned it too. So I started playing piano and then picked up bass and then went to high school for music. So played pretty much all the percussion instruments and then started my own rock and roll music school and then continued what? playing piano at weddings and funerals it was a part time job for a period of time and um and then i got got to school and again that single focus where i was like okay just become a dentist just become a dentist and because i had decided that at the age of 14 it was like i had put on these horse blinders and did anything that i needed to do and then once i became a dentist it was like i forgot why i had become a dentist was to- To be able to give me the opportunity to create the space in my life to do more of the things that I want. But I didn't allow that I just kept doing more and more dentistry thinking that okay well this is how I quote unquote prove myself to the world that I'm capable as this young blonde female at the time and it was one of those moments where looking back, I'm like, why did I wait so long to pick up the violin? Like it's all I it's I've had such an interest to so last year for my 35th birthday, I was just like, what am I waiting for? Like, I, and I think that we keep not just from a hobby's perspective, but if we decide we want to change careers or learn something new or become something different that we put these set deadlines or timelines on ourselves saying, okay, once I've reach this point, then I can actually do it. But you just have to decide that it's okay to even do it now. So last year was like, again, like, what am I waiting for? Like, I'm waiting for this magical time to like create in time that it's going to be okay. It's okay right now. Like, it's totally okay right now to make that happen. So when you give yourself that permission and give yourself the opportunity to say, okay, This is what interests me right now. I'm gonna test it out. Heck, I could have tried the violin and hated it (laughs) and been like, okay, this is it, like no more, but at least I gave myself the opportunity to try it. And now I get to say that I'm like, okay, well, I'm still plucking along and like it brings me so much joy. I look so forward to like my weekly lesson and like, yeah, it just, it fills up that part of me that I shut out for so long because I felt like I had to compromise myself to be able to prove myself within academia, within working world, within all of that stuff. And just within the last uh, few years or a couple of years since having moved out here, I feel like I've been chipping away at it slowly and slowly. And it's just like, ah, oh my goodness, this feels so good again. Yeah.
0: You mentioned earlier too, the kind of the quiet quitting or like the mm-hmm. great resignation that happened after COVID. Um, and I know something you've talked about before is how, kind of how this has turned into like the great regret where yeah. like, as people jumped ship and they, they left their jobs or they took the chance to pursue a passion or anything altogether, that step could sound great on paper. If But like, if they didn't necessarily do some sort of internal work first, yeah. it could have some unintentional consequences or backfire a little bit because you might still, not really have clarity on what's next, or you might still be questioning things or feeling lost or just like not really what you hoped it would now that the honeymoon phase is over. Exactly. So uh, Yeah, so like give us your thoughts on this because I feel like this is is really connected here.
1: Yeah, so the great resignation came out of the beginning stages of COVID when there was a pause on the world and it gave people the opportunity to reevaluate what their life currently looks like. And when that happened, all of our schedules got cleared. And now we had all of this space in our lives to be able to ask ourselves, "Okay, am I happy at this job? and between companies having to let people go and then people deciding whether or not they actually want to go back and then the nomadic life becoming more prominent there were all these other opportunities that people realized. oh my goodness we don't have to do it one singular way and that there's only one way to do things so the great resignation came out of the fact that people reevaluated it wasn't that and I really hate when when other individuals are like oh nobody wants to work and oh this generation and so on and it's like no no people are seeing a what their parents did and then hearing some of the stories and saying well I don't want that to be me they're seeing other colleagues that have worked their butt off in one specific company with the hope or promise that you're going to get to that next stage and then it never delivers and years go by. And then they're sitting in themselves thinking, okay, well, what do I want to do? So the problem with not doing the internal questioning first around what is it that I do want and just assuming that, okay, it's the job that sucks. I need to leave it and I go to the next one. When you don't give yourself that opportunity to ask yourself the difficult questions, it's so easy to go from one shitty relationship to another shitty relationship. Because now, again, like you had mentioned, there's that honeymoon phase that happens in the first, can it be anywhere from three to nine months because everyone's on their best behaviors during that time and you're on your best behavior. And so those old habits that you took from your old job and maybe that was people pleasing and not being able to say no and taking on too many things onto your plate, those habits then get carried over. So now this shiny new object, which was your job that you jumped into is no longer shiny and new and it's dull and old and it's exactly what the other place was too. you're just in a different space or location now and That's really hard to then grasp because then people then stumble into, well, every job I'm going to go to next is going to be the exact same way. And it's not the case. So then let's add in quiet quitting. Quiet quitting is then that reevaluation, people recognizing I've worked and quote unquote, tried to prove myself. I'm not being rewarded or I'm not being commended on what's going on. And so people then are going back to what their job descriptions are and say, well, It's not that people are doing the bare minimum, it's doing what the expectations of that role were. And now you're not gonna necessarily have these people quote unquote, going above and beyond. Because going above and beyond to you and to me is going to mean so many different things. So if that's not clarified, then how are people supposed to level up or be a leader in their role if they don't know what that actually means? So quiet quitting to me is just another fancy word for burnout. It's people recognizing this isn't working. I need to implement boundaries. I'm going to do my job, but I'm going to do what the expectations are of the job. And then I'm going to leave work at work and go home because I have a life outside of work. And so when we then look at both of them combined and we take a step back, realistically, it's people over the last few years giving themselves that opportunity to say Hey, something needs to change because it's not working. I no longer want it to be work-life balance where I have to fit work into my life, right? Or I have to fit life into work. I want life to be what I'm actually looking at first. And then how does work actually fit into that?
0: You're so right too, because we get so stuck into like the nine to five mindset. For Mm -hmm. people who maybe have had a nine to five. I've even caught myself doing this too. And I have been an entrepreneur running my own business, setting my own hours now for a decade, basically, maybe not a full decade. It's been a little less than that, but like a long freaking time. And I'll still catch myself being like, all right, I have to go to my office in my house at a certain time and then be at my desk And I'll, like, put pressure on myself to do a certain amount of work at my desk or, like, feel a little bad if I'm taking, you know, a a target run in the middle of a Tuesday afternoon where I have to consciously remind myself, like, no, this is okay. This is – you don't just do this. So it's, like, that ingrained in us as a society where it can be years and years but. being outside of a certain construct and you're still subconsciously going to that in some way or like yeah. pressuring yourself or maybe even shaming yourself or being or shooting on yourself and being like nope this is what it has to be because this is this is what work looks like or this is how it yeah this is how you do it right and not really allowing yourself the freedom to lean into, like actually you might be even more productive if you're setting up your workday to actually align with the rest of how your life works and kind of working backwards in that sense and taking off the constraints. So that's a, I love how you put that though. The fact that it's it's how does work fit into your life instead mm. of how do I fit my life around my work?
1: Mm-hmm. It's so fascinating. So I'm even stepping into the last like year and a half. I feel like I've had to like reconnect my body to my brain because I disconnected it for so long because it again, I pushed through, I pushed through so many physical symptoms, um, because it was just the norm to do that to prove yourself to suck it up to just kind of move through what was happening. And I'm now just learning how to listen to what my body is saying so that I can actually start to take care of it. And one of that when that happens that gives me the opportunity to assess okay well what is actually happening in my environment to also affect my body too instead of just blaming my body wondering especially for women because our hormonal changes throughout the entire month and recognizing okay there's going to be periods of the month where i'm going to be slower i'm not going to be able to definitely move as fast as i usually do because being that high achiever i'm on the go all the time and then paying attention this the full last year, so I'd say spring to spring, I was trying to pay attention to, especially around seasonal affective disorder and trying to understand, okay, what ends up happening? So I'm such a morning person, like you wouldn't believe. As soon as daylight savings happens around the spring equinox, it's like my body shifts into recognizing that, okay, spring is definitely upon us. It's time for you to utilize the morning again. And because I'm such a morning person, I have an internal clock that goes off at 4.45 every single morning. Like it just, it is what it is. I set my alarm clock for six and yet my internal alarm clock goes off at 4.45 and I'm ready to start my day so I don't fight it. However, in the winter time, I want to sleep in until 6.30, seven o'clock. And before I used to get angry at myself being like, okay, well you're that 4.45, five o'clock person, you should be getting up every single day and, like, and moving through it and stuff. And this year, what I did was I said, you know what, if my body wants to sleep, I'm going to let it sleep. I'm not going to try to force it. And it was amazing how it affected the entire, like the way that I showed up with patients in clinic and how I was able to start writing my second book and what that looked like in general. And so really recognizing that we're going to go through those seasonal shifts and for women in particular we're going to go through those monthly shifts as well and we need to give ourselves a permission to say you still get to be that high achiever you still get to be that high performer but recognizing when you need that space to take care of you to nourish yourself you don't need to get angry at yourself either
0: yes so so good we actually did a whole episode on kind of maximizing your menstrual cycle and and like literally coordinating it to your yeah. life, your business, whatever. So we'll put that in the show notes for everybody, for anyone who missed it, um, because it goes right off of what you're talking about. And it's incredibly fascinating to dive into if you're like nerds like us with all of this. <laughs> um <laughs> but i want to talk about your inner voice because you just kind of hinted at that and like we Mm -hmm. you're right we get angry at ourselves or we I, i think sometimes we do a lot of this without even being consciously aware of what we're doing we just kind of start going at our own selves and then accepting it as being okay or being true and i know you obviously wrote a book and have your own podcast all about this called speak kindly you're listening which love that love the title so cool So can we dive kind of deeper on what that actually means? Because I know Mm -hmm. you know, and I know, and I think maybe we all know to some extent that the words that we choose to speak to ourselves can truly make or break us. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's go there.
1: So that inner voice we carry with us throughout our entire lives. And based on our experiences, based on our culture, society, and our upbringing, all of that adds into how we choose to speak to ourselves and then add on different moments in time, whether they were good or bad. And then the mistakes that we make or the successes that we experience, those all add into how we choose to speak to ourselves. But the majority of the time when we speak to ourselves or if something goes wrong or if we're not having the greatest day, it is easier to be able to tear ourselves down than it is to be able to bring ourselves up again. So the voice that we use when we're speaking to friends and our family is not the same voice that we use when we speak to ourselves the majority of the time, especially if you haven't done the internal work. So paying attention to what that inner voice is. And so when I look back to myself in burnout and how I motivated myself in dental school, it was so negative. And I thought it was keeping me humble. And I thought it was keeping me not small, but in a space that allowed me to still grow. But at the same time, it scared me like you wouldn't believe because no matter what I did, I was never going to be good enough. What the science shows is that the same area in the brain gets activated, whether you're having a conversation with someone out loud or you're speaking to yourself, which means you hear it in the exact same way. So it's almost as if a friend is standing in front of you, tearing you down when you're speaking to yourself. So if you're saying unkind, destructful and hurtful words to yourself on a regular basis, like I suck, I can't believe I did that. Um, I'm never going to be fast enough. I'm going to always be alone. There's usually a story that we create for ourselves and we usually have two to three things that we say on repeat to ourselves on a regular basis. And if those things are negative, which I like to call your inner gremlin, if that is your inner gremlin and that is all you hear all the time then you start to believe it and then it keeps you small and it keeps you in a space that doesn't give you the opportunity to do the internal work and makes you think that the environment that you in you're in you deserve it there's nothing gonna ever be anything better for you and that's really hard to live with if that is the only voice that you hear on a regular basis and so speak kindly you're listening is understanding how especially for the high achiever, your inner voice can have such an impact all the way from how you choose to see yourself as a mom to if you apply for a promotion to how you look at yourself in the mirror. And I break down imposter syndrome, perfectionism, and burnout because we hear these terms so independently of each other and working at the Cancer Center it was really easy for me as a researcher to kind of stumble in and ask that question where, but what, where's the link? Like what's actually going on? Cause if we're experiencing these things, then they're interconnected in some way, shape or form. And what the literature has shown is that when you experience imposter syndrome in combination with perfectionism. So if you call yourself a perfectionist, you are more likely to develop psychological distress, ultimately leading to burnout. And When we wrap that up all into a nice, neat package, the link between all three of those is how you choose to speak to yourself. It comes back to that self-talk with, do you think you're not good enough? You feel like you're a fraud. So because you feel like a fraud and you doubt yourself, you push yourself even more past your breaking point. So you overwork to the point of exhaustion time and time again, being successful, but never believing that that success is enough so you get trapped in the cycle time and time again repeating to yourself over and over that you're never going to be good enough and so you have to try to start to change how you choose to speak to yourself and the way that i like to do it is by naming those different voices that gives you the opportunity to be able to tap in to say okay i see you inner gremlin but i don't need to listen to you today and so It could be your inner sage your inner wise one your inner cheerleader your inner goddess whoever you feel that you can start to connect and create that new voice so then that way when you only hear your inner gremlin you have a different way of tapping into a new voice
0: yeah i've always hated the phrase my truth and how flippantly people throw that around nowadays because i think it it allows there to be a disconnect between what is between actual truth and it allows so if you're not actually paying attention to this and doing all of this in our work you could sit there and be like well my truth is that i'm just a terrible mother because and you're not even realizing that like you're a rock star it's just because you've been telling yourself the same narrative for however long or you've listened to the narrative that other people have put on you and you've adopted it as true and you haven't done the work to retrain your brain to what is actually true and you've accepted these like leading feelings as facts. And they're, they're, they're just not, they're not facts. They're literal lies that you've just right. told yourself for so long. So it's I think that's that's so powerful right there. Like everything that you just said, I want to like mentally highlight for everyone. Can you break down two more? I love this idea of like actually naming each of these different things to kind of yeah. separate it. But if we take it a step back before doing that, Mm -hmm. how do you recommend actually kind of like identifying, ooh, there's my inner voice that's telling Mm -hmm. me something to almost start separating it where you can pinpoint there's the gremlin, there's whoever, there's this negative thing that's kind of trying to tell me a narrative that's just not
1: true. So there's two ways initially that I like to do this. The first one is Um, and I kind of had hinted at it back where we have those two to three phrases that we say on a regular basis, write down what those phrases are, because those usually are that starting point for your thoughts to start to tumble into whatever else is happening. So if you can pinpoint what those phrases are, then you can start to pay attention to when those come up. So who are you around? What time of the day is it? Did you have a really bad sleep? Are you closer to your menstrual cycle? What is actually happening during that period in time so then now you have an awareness around what that specifically is. Then what I like to do is not get angry anymore at yourself because it's really easy to then say oh well I have these three key phrases I should be able to stop myself from ever saying it again and that's not the point of it. The aspect is being able to see it and then to thank it because it did get you to where you are today, but it doesn't have to be the only voice that you hear. So initially when you're starting to pay attention to it, it's really easy to slip into that inner gremlin gremlin sub level where then that anger starts to spew. And I don't think anger as an emotion is bad. Anger and feeling your feels are so important, but you shouldn't have to tear yourself down when you're learning more stuff about yourself. And so first one is write down those two to three statements that you hear on a regular basis. And maybe you even start to notice that there's more than three based on your environment, based on those people, based on the time of the day or the month. And then the second is recognizing when it comes up and you see it, instead of then letting that inner gremlin walk all over that mind of yours, you get to say, I see you. Thank you. I got it from here. And that's when you get to start to slowly shift your dialogue. So let's go into part three, which is shifting your dialogue. Because a lot of people say, well, I can't just go from, I can't to, I can all of a sudden. And I recognize that, right? You can't just substitute out any single word and then start to believe it. So maybe it's going from, I can't do this to, I'm learning this at a pace that I need to. And when you start to do those reframes, That gives you the evidence, those facts that you were talking about, those truer facts that recognize that, that, okay, this is the neutrality that I'm in right now. So what I like to say is you don't have to go from this negative to all of a sudden positive because we're not jumping into toxic positivity. We're going into more neutral or informed optimism. And the way that I like to describe the difference between whether or not you think it's toxic positivity versus informed optimism is toxic positivity is, let's say you walk outside and it's raining or inhaling and you're walking outside with someone next to you. And the person says, no, no, look outside. Like it's sunny outside. Like it's like, look at, you can see the sun. And it's like, no, I can clearly feel the hail pellets on my face right now. Like this, no, no, that's toxic positivity informed optimism is walking outside and then recognizing oh it's hailing right now I have my raincoat on I have my umbrella maybe I'll take shelter but I know this is going to pass and that all of a sudden changes how you walk out into that hailstorm that gives you the opportunity to then say okay it's not that I can't do this it's I'm learning this at the pace that I need to. And you get to adjust what those reframes are. You get to choose the words that you start to believe. And eventually it will go from I can't to I can, but you may need a few steps in between with a bit of reframes to be able to get to that point. And that takes time because you have to test out what you actually believe in your body. And you'll know when you change those words to the words that you believe that you'll feel it in your body as well.
0: That's so good because it's so real and it's so true. And it's hilarious because it reminds me of exactly all of the stuff that I'm learning and relearning with literally my four year old right now in terms of dealing with helping them through their big feelings in their little bodies at this age. And it's exactly that where it's like, okay, the feeling itself isn't bad. It's what you do with it that can that is what has to be kind of reworked. So jokes on all of us that we're here as. We're here as grown-ups doing the same work that <laughs> yeah. my good old four-year-old's doing in preschool right now. But like, hey, that's the truth. And I think being able to look at it and reframe it that way, is very, it, you're right. It's like, it's very necessary and that's what's healthy. And I love the difference you just pointed out between informed optimism and toxic positivity, because I think that that's a phrase that gets thrown out so much. And those, those optimists around us can get a bad rap because we can just be labeled as you're just toxically positive or whatever, but it's like, no, 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 there is a difference. And if you Mm -hmm. can truly shift to what you said, where you're having that optimistic perspective, but it is informed by truths. Mm-hmm. that's that's I think the key to being able to actually shift to having a sustainable positive perspective where you're teaching yourself how to still be real how to you're still being authentic you're still you're, mm-hmm. you're not like lying to yourself or just trying to trick yourself into thinking that everything's hunky-dory and fantastic like yeah. it it's, it's literally what I built my blog name on coming up roses it's like we're not, acknowledge- we're not ignoring the thorns that are on the flower. We're just shifting the focus to, okay, but we're still going to appreciate the beauty of the rose on the top sort of thing. We're not saying there's yes. no, ro- like, there's still thorns. They're still there. There they are. They'll prick you if, you if you stab them and if you focus on that. But it's like being able to live with the tandem of both, yeah. which is like, hello, life. Yeah. <laughs> and, and still being able to, have a sustainable, healthy, positive perspective as you go through it.
1: Life is hard. However you choose to see it, it's just, you need to choose your hard. And if it's going to be hard, then why not be able to say I can weather it? Because you know you can. And I think that that's what people don't give themselves um, enough attention around is the fact that, yeah, if life can suck at times and it's not discounting that those moments are shitty, exactly like those thorns. Like, and sometimes when you prick it, you prick that thorn, you're gonna see that blood and you're gonna be like, oh, but you're not gonna discount the fact that that rose is no longer pretty and no longer has a beautiful scent. It's it's still there. I love that analogy because you can still have those thorns and life still is good. Um, And I know it's hard to see that at times Uh, I have a lot of friends um, at the moment right now who are actually kind of just navigating their own um, challenges that are happening right now. And when you sit with that person, and I want to talk about this because at times when maybe you step in, you're like, oh, well, I need to be positive for this person. You don't actually need to be positive for the person. That person, especially women in general, women like to talk about what they're feeling because instead of bottling it up, we like to express that. You never have to have an answer when you're sitting and listening. So like if you're that person on the opposite side and you're like, okay, well how do I make this person feel better? You don't have to, you just get to sit there and embrace the suck with them and then say, listen, I'm here for whatever you need. Tell me how I can support you. And I love it for the high achiever because the high achiever who's takes action is always like, okay, what can I do for this person? And like, how can I like make things better? Or like, do you need me to go and do something? And something that I practice, with everyone that I come into contact with is ask the person going into this conversation and say, hey, do you want me to listen? Or are we looking to find solutions together? And then that already takes the pressure off of, you just get to sit and listen if that's what the person needs. You don't have to worry about answers. You don't have to worry about finding solutions. It's you get to sit holding that rose with that person and saying, okay, we'll manage the thorn together. And I'm here to listen and help you in that way.
0: That's so good. And you're right, because there's there's a different headspace that they're coming into it with. Like there's, you know, we all, you know the feeling, like if you're listening, you know the feeling, you know when you just want to vent or like you just need to get something off your chest or say something, but you're not looking for like a therapy session or you're not mm-hmm. looking to fix it right now because maybe you're not ready. Maybe you don't know how, but maybe you're not ready to learn how, or maybe maybe you just need to like get it out there just so that it's out there to literally word vomit or brain dump it off of your heart. And then you just need to like, let it sit for a hot minute before you go and are in a good space and a healthy space to actually productively address it or try to figure out a next step or whatever. It's not like you're process, you're saying it and processing it and fixing it and doing all of the things in this like streamlined order. So a plus tip.
1: And I want to add on to that. You get to do that with yourself too, with your inner voice. Yes. Yeah. So good. Awesome. I want
0: to ask you something to kind of wrap things up in terms of taking it back to self care and talking about like real self care. Because beyond bubble baths or like a glass of wine or any other momentary <laughs> band aid, do you have some favorite self care practices that? you love that maybe go a bit deeper or have like a better longer lasting effect not to discount the the beauty and like a a really good bubble bath or like soaking in a moment that you get because i think we all also know like sometimes when life is super crazy and chaotic that is what you get and being able to savor it is awesome and important Mm. but do you have some sustainable self-care practices or favorites that go just kind of tying into that almost like that training of your inner voice and being able to kind of train yourself and your mind and your body for the long term to be taking care of yourself holistically in a really good, healthy way.
1: Yeah. So self-care is really fascinating because I think we chalk it up to these one-off moments in time or going on that one vacation and then it's supposed to fix all of our problems. And then you come back and a couple of days later, you're crying in the bathroom at work and you're like that was a waste of a vacation why did I even go away (laughs) and uh, because I've straight up had clients tell me that Um, whether it's a closet whether it's the bathroom it's the same story though (laughs) however you cut it and um, so what I like to lean on is teaching people what self-care means to them and the way that i like to do that is first starting to build self-compassion so dr neff talks about self-compassion when we think about the word vulnerability we can think about brene brown and then if we think about self-compassion we can think about dr kristen neff and so she breaks down self-compassion into fierce compassion and tenderness compassion and a great analogy is tenderness compassion is let's say your mom or a parent figure that you would go to that you're not having the greatest day and you want them to really hug you and you get to hold you and support you in that sense, okay? So that's tenderness, self-compassion. Fear self-compassion is like mama bear and like coming in and protecting and taking action. So too much of tenderness, self-compassion means that you become complacent and you don't end up taking action so too much of that is a bad thing and too much action means that you're go 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 still you're giving yourself that compassion but you're not really asking yourself what you need from that tenderly moments in time so when you're having a really bad day depending on what bad means to you do you need to get up and get moving so getting outside, going for a walk, using some sort of physical activity to kind of just get things moving. A lot of clarity can come for going for a walk or doing exercise as well. For me in particular, it's getting in the middle of trees and going out for a hike with my dog. During those moments in time, I have to take my headphones out. I can't listen to audiobooks. I can't listen to podcasts. So I create a space for myself where essentially it's just like boots on the ground and like I'm just breathing with nature and I'm trying to get everything out let's say I go through that hike at the end of the day and I still need that support. And now I need to, I've taken my action, but I still need that moment in time where I need to lean into someone. So I'll call up my best friend who is my sister and I'll say, Hey, I need to pass by. Are you home right now? She'll be like, yeah, yeah. Come on by and pass by, embrace a hug. I'll be like, okay, I just need, and sometimes tears fall. Sometimes tears don't. And that, can be your self-care routine. And then I'll pick on my niece and she'll have like a little giggle and I'll be like, oh, okay, I feel so much better. And then I grab my pup in the car and then we go home, we make dinner together. And that to me is part of my self-care routine. So self-care isn't that vacation. It's the day-to-day gritty that you need to be able to take care of you. So the way that I like to suggest creating a self-care routine are who are those people? that give you that tenderness? What gives you that tenderness? What do you need in that moment in time? So based on the emotion that you're experiencing. So for instance, anger usually comes with an actionable step where we need to express that anger. What does that look like to you? Versus if you're feeling sad, what is it that you need at that moment? Is it a cozy blanket? Is it um, romantic comedy that really makes you cry because I definitely have those days where I'm going into it and I'm like I need that movie to like even inst- like to bring out more tears in myself or you watch that commercial or whatever it is, and that gives you the opportunity to narrow in what your self care routine and regimen is based on your own personal emotions, and when you step away from the social media component of it where you see self-care on there and whether it is that glass of wine or a piece of chocolate cake or a bubble bath because those things I think are fine when they're only happening every once in a while and that they aren't in excess so it's not jumping into the bubble bath and being like and then leaving and then saying I'm gonna have that extra glass of wine because I deserve it well why don't you actually step into those emotions and ask yourself what is it that you're feeling instead of trying to numb it and not being able to move through it. And I think that's the biggest thing is when we see this glamorized quote unquote self-care, it can turn into a numbing component instead of actually asking ourselves what we need in that point in time. And so name the emotion because when you name the emotion it gives you power back in recognizing what it is and then ask yourself what is that self-care? So in the winter time, I know for myself, I need something from an exercise perspective that's something more that uh, from a physical standpoint that is not as rigorous. So I like low key stuff in the winter. I need something that's a little bit more cozy because I know for me, January and February are gonna feel like the longest months. So I need to nourish myself in that sense. But the rest of the time, especially when there's sun outside, I need to make sure that I'm getting myself outside. Even if I've had a hard day, I need to make sure that I'm outside because that's going to benefit how then I go to sleep. It's gonna benefit my mood as a whole. When you start to piece together and write this stuff down. So like I have an entire wall of things that I know that I need to be able to take care of me. And when you create that and you recognize that, okay, this is me, this is what I need for me. It makes it easier to ask for what you want whether it's asking from a partner or asking yourself or asking your family and friends, whether that's, Hey, you know what? I need time by myself right now. That's self care. That is a hundred percent self care. And when you continue to learn about yourself throughout your entire life, because the list that you create for yourself today is not going to look exactly the same in a year to two to three years from now. And self compassion is giving yourself permission to adjust as needed.
0: Uh, I love the, this made me think like we all feel like we all need to make actual lists of like, this is what I need or what makes me feel better when I'm feeling X, because it's like, I've done this for myself before. I have like a bliss list where if I want to feel happy or it's just like random things where I know they will instantly uplift my mood, like a certain song or a certain type of activity or whatever, where I'm like, okay, if I need a quick pick me up to like shake up my mood and just feel a little happier this'll work. But I love extending off of that with what you just said in terms of make a list for literally every feeling. And when I'm, when, when you need to cry and when you need to let out those feelings, here's what helps Mm. you literally helps you cry to healthily process that emotion and like, get it out, let yourself feel the feel. Like, I think that that's so, that's such a more powerful way to look at self-care and to, oh gosh, like to really actually let it see effect on you Because, I mean, hey, if anyone's anything like me, I'm not really, I don't really like bubble baths. So when everyone was saying, just take a bath, you'll feel better. I was like, I was sitting in my tub and like my, my boobs were sticking out and I'm like this, I was cold. And I'm like, this is not, what am I doing wrong? Like, this is not, this is not self-care. Like, this is this is terrible. My cat was trying to jump in. I was like, this isn't, this isn't the, the look. This isn't working for me. And I'm not feeling better. I'm feeling worse and I'm cold. Like It just didn't do it. So okay, I you, think
1: this, you and I are exactly the same because that is exactly yeah. how I feel and I'm like this is this is not this is not enjoyable for me. And no. then I thought I was doing self-care wrong for yeah. so many years. No, doing it wrong because I'm like oh and I'm like okay it's just because this isn't for me. It's the same thing. This is so funny. This is going to off on a tangent. Um I hate bowling. Like I hate bowling. So when friends when friends are like hey we're going bowling and I'm like I'm out. I can't do it. I can't do it. And it's funny because before I'd be like, oh, and I always would come home at the end of those nights being like, I hated that so much. Why did I go? (laughs) It's the same thing like the bubble bath. Surround yourself with the people that you want to hang out with. Do the things you actually want to do and take care of yourself the way that you want to be taken care of.
0: Yes. Don't be like Erica and Jessica sitting in tubs, like splashing water on your upper half, being like, this is supposed to be fun. Where is the fun? <laughs> it's, not, yeah. it's not working.
1: So I took my showers and I have a night light in my uh, bathroom. So when I'm taking a shower, so to get to experience that same mood, I still like candles when I'm in the shower. I still have the night light. I still have my I don't usually set up aromatherapy but the candles have a bit of a scent to them so i still create a very similar environment because i still wanted that aspect of it but yeah. i didn't want to just be sitting there in the water and so i then took it and created it to work for me and that is the biggest thing that people need to understand and this is why i say don't just look to social media for it you're going to have to experiment with what self-care looks like. So if you try something out and it doesn't work, it's not that it's not for you. It's maybe something needs to be tweaked or adjusted or you shift it slightly. And now all of a sudden it works. So give yourself the opportunity coming from a science background. It just I love experiments, testing and trial because then there's no wrong answer. It's a hypothesis that you're testing out and if it's null or void, then test a new hypothesis, and that is it.
0: Yep. Oh, we'd love to see it. Gosh, we could talk for hours on all yeah. of this, but I'll get things wrapped up with asking you what we love to ask to close out the show, which is, what does thrive mean to you, and how mm. do you strive to thrive in your everyday life?
1: Thriving is it's going back right to the beginning, like it's multi-dimensional, multi-passionate. It's, I'm gonna share a moment in time that I had yesterday. So I, one of the reasons why I chose dentistry was because back when I was 12, 13 years old and I had braces, my aunt's a, a general dentist. And once a month while I had braces, my dad would drop me off at her house. She would take the day off of work and she would take me to see my orthodontist. And then we would come home, she'd invite her friends over and we'd bake all day. And it was the best thing ever. And I absolutely loved it. It was the best time at the point. Um, I'm one of the oldest cousins, um, in that group of individuals. And so we had small, three little small cousins at the time. And I thought that this was just the best thing ever for the longest time, especially when I was in burnout, I felt like I made the worst decision ever choosing dentistry because it wasn't what I had anticipated yesterday morning. Uh, my niece, Uh, got to go to daycare for the second day and on Tuesdays um, I take her to daycare and it was one of those moments where it was our first day of doing this and I popped over to um, her house in the morning we had breakfast and coffee together so with my best friend and then we got all of us ready and we went to daycare. And I got home and I was like, this is exactly why I chose dentistry, was for those moments in time. And I stood in my doorframe bawling my eyes out (laughs) and then sent a message to my aunt reminding her that I'm like, hey, you remember those moments in time? I was like, I finally have that. And that is thriving. That is recognizing that it's not necessarily the big massive events. It wasn't my degree. It wasn't getting into dental school. It was creating those moments in time that when I have those tears, they're not tears of sadness. It's this emotional reaction and connection to why I do what I do.
0: Oh, goosebumps. That That's it. That's it right there. I love it. Jess, can you tell everybody where they can find you online to connect with you more and where they can grab copies of your books and all of that good stuff?
1: Yeah. So across social media is all exactly the same. So at Dr. Jessica Metcalf, uh, website's www.drjessicametcalf.com. And the book is on Amazon and it's reached bestseller now. So check it out. I'm so excited. Thank you again for having me. This conversation was just everything my heart needed. So thank you.